Blog Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. The Women of Golf Show is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company providing quality programming designed to attract the golfing enthusiast. And Golf Tips, the game's most in-depth instruction magazine, including reviews on the latest equipment, tips from top teaching professionals, all designed to help you improve from tee to green. Good morning. Welcome to the Women of Golf, the number one women's golf show around the world with hosts Ted Odorico and Cindy Miller. Join them as they interview some of the best players from the Symmetra, LPGA, and Legends Tour, and so many others, helping to elevate women's golf. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Ted and Cindy. All right. Good morning, Cindy, and welcome. Good morning, Ted. How are you? I'm I'm doing fantastic. Uh, another great Tuesday morning. Uh, you and I get to spend a little bit of time together and and talk about something that we we both love, and uh, we're going to start things off here in just a moment uh, with another great discussion in the no BS zone, and then a little bit later on, we're going to be joined by world-renowned golf landscape painter and artist, Linda Harto. She'll be joining us a little bit later on in the broadcast, but uh, Cindy, what's new and exciting up in Buffalo? Are you still getting some snow, or? Yes, we are. We're getting one to three today. <laughs> Yeah, Hopefully that's I, and we have not feet. seen the ground for over a month. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we got, well, like, three feet. Wow. Welcome right? to the snow belt. <laughs> wow, that's where we live. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, time to make a permanent move, come down to Florida. We got lots the good sunny weather down here today are going to be high as 71 or or even more in some areas uh great to play some golf all right uh as i said we're going to start with a great discussion uh as we have the last few weeks um in the no bs zone and that's where we talk about some interesting topics to help you guys out there uh improve your game uh we started with um a a sort of a new you in 2021 on our first show this season. And then last week it was um, preparing for uh, your first round of the season. And now we're going to talk about Cindy is some tips for keeping a good round going. Everybody gets out there and, and uh, you know, wants to know what do I do to, to, you know, kind of keep things going. If I got a pretty good round going, what are some things to do? Um, I've got 10 points here. We're not going to be able to get through them all, but we'll, we'll brush on some of them. And you might be surprised at some of the things that I've chosen, but you'll understand as I explain a little bit, and, and Cindy uh, adds her thoughts in, in that as well. And I think one of the things Cindy's, uh, and I put here point number one, not necessarily in any order, is some pre-round tips. I think before we actually get out in the round, there's things that you need to do um, and I think one of the most important things that is really overlooked, I mean, you know, lots of people go out and hit balls at the range or warm up that way. Uh, but one thing that they don't do is to ensure that they're nice and loose. That they kind of stretch things out um, because a lot of times, depending on where you are, the muscles might be a little cold. You haven't, you know, maybe done something, maybe you haven't played for a few weeks and you're getting out there and you want to have a good round. Well, you got to start off 
right from the get-go by stretching and, and making sure that you're good and loose and ready to play. Now, I know that you do some things with uh, the folks that take your boot camp. Why don't you talk about some things that you do to make sure they get ready before they even get out in the golf course? Well, yeah, like you said, you've got to loosen up. You've got to stretch. You've got to hit a couple balls. You don't have to hit three buckets, but you have to hit, you know, 10 or 15. But what I would ask you to do is to stop and say, what's my focus for the day? And do I want to work on my tempo, something that's more right-brained? You can't really tee off and say, well, I'm going to shoot 72 today because no one can control that. But what I would do is say, you know, I'm going to try, commit to do my pre-shot routine on every shot. And then at the end of the round, rank yourself. How did I do? Did I do what I say I was going to do, right? And and Mm -hmm. make sure you have the mindset that you know what you're working on and that it's something that you can control. Because, again, shooting a number, you can't control because we would all shoot 62 every day. But um, make sure that you pick something that's very controllable by you that you can choose to focus on and pay attention to. Yeah, that's a great point. And, 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 you know, really essentially what you're saying is, is, you know, in addition to, to warming up and getting those muscles fired up and, and ready to go is have, have a game plan. Now, you know, it's okay to say, Hey, you know, I want to, I want to try to shoot par today. It's okay to have a goal or, or something, a target, if you will, but again, you have to be realistic and you have to focus on other things. And if that happens to you know, come to fruition by the end of the round, hey, then you've met that goal. But yeah, just to pick a number and say, okay, and then what often happens, and we've talked about this before, is people start you know, adding things up as they're going along and they say, oh, I've only got you know, six strokes left you know, to hit that number and I've got four holes left to play. There's no way I'm going to do it. So right away, they just start collapsing and, you know, and the, the wheels fall off the bus. Tip number two, Cindy, is get your body in balance. What I mean by that is really what you said is uh, hit a few balls. Um, you know, there's some different things that you can do. I, I put one here. You know, you could hit uh, balls left-handed during, uh, you know, your warm-up session. Uh, doing that, you can turn over a 7-hour, and I've done that before. And that just sort of uh, helps to accomplish two things. You'll practice an awkward shot that you may save you stroke when you get out there on the golf course. Maybe you get hit behind a tree and you can't hit normally. And you've got to turn around. Uh, if you've never practiced that shot, um, you know, that's, uh, that's something that will help you a little bit. Uh, and, you know, really, since your golf swing is two-sided, uh, you need to strengthen the golf muscles on both sides. Because if you're a right-handed player, as an example, and you're swinging the same way all the time and you're not doing something to balance yourself out, uh, then you start you know, getting a tightness developing on one side of your body because it's not really being worked the same way. The other thing, uh, Sanine, and I want to get your thoughts on this, is I'm a firm believer of you know, not trying to you know, jump out of your shoes every time you swing the golf club. And what I mean by that is what I like to do is get people out there and you know, on the practice tee, of course, uh, or range, and have them start off by swinging at about 50%, even a little bit less of what their full swing is, and then sort of inch their way up to a point where suddenly they're now jumping out of their shoes, and then I like them to back it off. Because if they're coming out of their shoes, they're swinging too hard, they're not going to be in balance. What do you think? Well, 
Absolutely. I don't think you should ever go 110%. I think that right. once you understand how to hit the ball properly and allow the club head to do the work and not you to slam it, you'll find mm-hmm. that it's so much easier and the ball goes so much farther with less work. If you, if you doubt what I say, Google LPGA Tour players with smooth swings. And just go watch mm-hmm. a few of them swing. You can stand on the driving range and be in awe. I mean, the first time I ever saw them, I was like, are you kidding me? doesn't even look like they're trying. Right. Look how far the ball's right. going. You know, it's, so it's amazing. Um, yeah, I would, I would definitely make sure that you understand that going 120% you don't want to do. Yeah, and, and that's a great point, too, that you raise about watching the tour players. And it's not that you want to emulate every movement of their swing, but you want to see how effortless it is. They're not, you know, many of the players really don't swing at 100%. Many of them are swinging, right. you know, it, it, it might only be swinging, in some cases, might only be swinging 80% because they want that little bit extra on occasions when they might need to give it that little extra oomph. And they're still not really swinging at 100%. And you, you never see, or at least I have never seen, and I've watched a lot of events over the years, Cindy, I know you've played in a lot of events. I've never seen a, a tour player fall back on their back foot or, or stumble through their golf swing because they're swinging within balance. And that's, that's key mm, if you want to keep it. I'm going to argue with you. Well, I mean, I, well, so I, I, I mean I'm sure there have been. I, yeah, go ahead. Because Jack Nicholas did it all the time uh he would fall back after he followed through so no people don't fall over and stumble but the backlash and the whiplash of you know it comes back after the fact that he went all the way through and it's just momentum and the centrifugal Mm -hmm. force putting him back if you will yep you're right. I stand corrected. You are right. Jack did do that. Um, but you, you understand the premise of what I'm saying, though, is, is I think that some players, uh, especially our amateur players, tend to get a little bit too aggressive on their swing and they, they lose balance. They're not making a fluid swing. So, yeah, I would encourage to do as you suggested. And, you know, if you have the ability to go to a tour event, that's even better because you can see it live. But if not, as you said, Google some of the LPJ uh, tour players out there that have a, a good smooth swing. There's lots of them out there. And, and just watch the video. Don't worry about the positions and things like that, because that's something you can work on with your pro. But just watch how effortless it is. Um, many of them have. And same with the men. I mean, you know, on the men's side, you've got people like Ernie Els and, and others out there that have a very smooth and effortless-looking swing. And then you get, you know, others that, that kind of look like they're chopping at the ball. They're still very effective, but it works for them. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's something uh, very smart for people to do. All right, you're getting up to the first tee now. Again, you're getting ready to get out on the golf course. It looks like we might have lost a, a connection I've got here. I you now. Are you there? Ted. Ted. 
How about now? <laughs> hear you. Can All you right, hear me? can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Yeah, what happened? All right, I apologize. Yeah, somehow my, my mic got disconnected, and I didn't realize it. And I could hear me, but I couldn't hear anything else. I apologize for that. So let me – let me. God, it's Tuesday morning. What can I say? Um, my apologies to everyone for that. Uh, that was my, uh, my mistake. I must have hit something here. Um, okay, so, so basically what I was, what I was saying, Cindy, was uh, on the first tee, um, you, know, you want to get up there. You want to identify the shape of the, uh, the hole and, and, and get an idea of, of the lay of the land. And obviously the idea is you want to keep it out in the short grass because pretty much all the way along both sides of the hole, uh, you're going to have rough. You might have some trouble. You might even have some OB. So you want to really pay attention how you're going to start your round. And maybe you can offer some tips uh, for what the folks can do um, on that first tee to ensure a good start to the round. Well, I don't put any value on what hole it is or what swing it is because if you do that, you can – trip yourself up in my opinion no now i've lost <laughs> now i've lost now i've lost cindy um we'll just wait for her to come back on i apologize we're having some uh technical issues this morning um so we'll just wait for for cindy to come back on and and uh let her finish her thoughts but um this is one of the things, unfortunately, folks, with uh, technology that you run into issues from time to time like this, and we'll try to see if we can uh, correct it for the rest of the show before our guest comes on. Um, but um, so anyways, one of the things that you, you know, I, I really want to emphasize about keeping a good round going is it starts at the beginning. Um, you know, once you get out there, you know, you don't want to make a lot of changes. You don't want to start, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you arrive that day at the golf course and let's say you're slicing the ball a bit, that's not the time when you get out on the golf course to start making swing changes and things work with what you've got that particular day, get out there. If you're slicing the ball a little bit or, uh, hooking the ball a little bit, that's okay. Adjust accordingly. And let me bring Cindy back on here. Let's try. Let's try. I lost you this time. What the heck? I was going on and I on and know. on. Oh, I know. I did a great job. <laughs> yeah, it, you, yeah, I know. Uh, go ahead real quick, Cindy, if you don't mind. Just maybe sort of cover over some of the, I don't the put points. Any so value we value on any shot. The, the, the person that stands on the range and – and says, oh, this is my last ball. i got to make it a good one, they always choke. So I don't say, oh, I've got to start my round right. I just say I, I'll look at the hole if I've never played. I'll say, okay, is it a dog leg left, dog leg right? Where do I want the ball to go? Is my t- What's my target? And then I step behind the ball and I pick out a spot. And then, you know, it's always a straight shot to that target. So – that's what I do because if I I've learned that if I put more pressure on me I just blow it and then I get ticked off. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and and what I was saying while I was waiting for you to come back on is, you know, you you want to set yourself up, 
you know, with no matter what game you brought to the to the course that day, and as I was mentioning just before you came back on, you know, if you're slicing the ball a bit that day or hooking the ball a little bit de- that day, uh, if you want to have a good round, the last thing you want to do is start monkeying around with your swing, changing grip, and so on and so forth when you get out in the golf course. Work with what you've got that particular day. If you're slicing a little bit, adjust accordingly. Um, you know, aim a little bit differently than what you typically do. Um, just to compensate for that. Don't start making swing changes and things in the middle of a round because you're, you're just not going to be successful. The other thing too is, and you know, I talk about here, you know, simplifying chips and that, but I'm going to really expand that a little bit and really just because of, uh, of our time here is, is the short game. Um, you know, don't try to get fancy with a lot of your shots. If you're not somebody that, that hits the ball really long or very well, Cindy, um, but are pretty decent with your short game. Instead of trying to go for the green and two, maybe a better route is to lay up, pick a yardage that you're comfortable hitting, maybe a wedge width or something, and and hit to that uh, area, uh, that that distance, and set yourself up for a good third shot. Talk about that a little bit about maybe some course management, if you will, while you're out on the golf course. Things that you can do that are going to increase the, the chances of success and, and having a good round going. I have to make a comment as well. I get students that come in and say, I want to work the ball. And I, <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you shoot? 95. And then I I'll say, you know what? It's kind of difficult to work the ball and hit the shot you need to. I would say, I would tell you the smartest move would be to hit it straight. Learn how to hit it fairly straight. And if you do that, you could break 90 real easy. So then I show people how to find shots. And what you're talking about right now, and most people don't break 90. And if you hit every green and one over regulation, which means a par three, don't go for the green. You know, lay it up so you're 30 yards away. Knock that 30-yard wedge on and two-putt and make bogey. And if you bogey every hole, you just shot 90. So sometimes it's smarter to play smarter instead of go for things. Now, if, if you're a better player and you want to break 80, then what I would do is, is there a couple of holes that really own it, own you, right? And they horrify Mm -hmm. you and you always make double or triple. And, and if so, how can you play that hole smarter and maybe you don't tee off with a driver if it's really tight maybe you hit a seven iron off the tee and and you might go seven iron that's stupid well no it's not if you're in the middle of the fairway maybe you hit three seven irons on the green you know and then you two putt for bogey so what you're saying is absolutely correct and people need to be very aware of that yeah, and, and this falls into to this tip, uh, making the right choice. You know, the one thing that you do have control with on the golf course is not always the shots, depending on the level, but deciding which of the 14 clubs that you have in your bag that you're going to use for that round. Um, that's a decision that only you can control. Which club are you going to use? The problem is, is making the right choice. And as Cindy, as you just pointed out, you know, if you're playing a hole that, that causes you stress or anxiety because you know you never do well on it, 
um, because there's lots of trouble out there or whatever the case may be. It's just it maybe a difficult tee shot. Why pull out your driver and exacerbate that anxiety? Pull out, as you suggest, maybe a seven iron or some other club and, and keep it in play. And even if you can come out, let's say it's a par five, and even if you come out bogeying that par five as opposed to a triple bogey, then you're two shots better than you were. So you, you have to, it all boils down to what, I, what we said a minute ago, and that is your course management is what you do out in the golf course. You may not be able to control every single shot, again, depending on your level of play, but what you can control is the decisions that you make. And if you're making poor decisions, then you're, you're not going to, you know, especially if you start, I mean, and this is something that I've, I've done. I don't know if you've ever done this in, in your play or not, Cindy, but this is something that I've done and I've tried to encourage students is I have what I call uh, a seventh hole tip. Uh, so, you're, you know, your round is uh, basically a third complete. And I, you know, maybe you've got a good round going. You've got, it's time for what I call a tension check. And that is to assess how you feel, you know, uh, you know, are you are your muscles kind of tightening up, and and you know, are you are you feeling really loose, or you, you know, make sure that you're not suddenly ramping up again that anxiety because a lot of times people say, wow, I got a great round going, and then they start playing all these scenarios in their mind. Well, I got that bad hole coming up here, and that, and the next thing you know, that bad round turns in, or that good round turns into a bad round. Um, so I like to, you know, as I'm going along through the round, and and a seven hole is a good. Uh, measure you maybe you want to do it after five holes or, or a different number um, but, but kind of assess where you're at forget about the numbers but how are you playing thus far are you being too aggressive and it's causing you strokes are you not being aggressive enough if you're a better player so it's kind of like an assessment within that round but again I don't encourage people to make you know massive swing changes or things like that because then you're going to just it's just going to fall apart. What do you think about doing something like that within the round? Kind of having an, a, a sort of a mini assessment. I'm not talking about taking a lot of time, but just sort of evaluating where you are thus far. I don't I don't want them to evaluate where they are thus far because I don't want to change what they're doing unless they need okay. it. So I would just, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm nice and relaxed and I'm paying attention to my pre-shot routine and I'm planning my shots the way I need to. I I, I might just, you know, you're doing okay because if we change it up, then it might lock them up and I don't want them to get locked up. Right. Good point. I would not add up, oh, I'm playing really well today. I should keep doing what I'm doing. And then you know what's going to happen then, you know. Right. <laughs> anyway, I would just, you know, right. I'm going to stay focused. Am I focusing on what I promised myself I would do? And if I'm not, then it's time to change. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I think you have to find, obviously, everybody's different. And that's what's great about this game is everybody's different. Everybody's unique. And you have to find what works for you. Um, and that's something that your, um, you know, your, your golf professional can help you with. Um, they can help you assess what your game is like on a good day and what it's like on a bad day and help you handle those difficult situations. The final one that we're going to talk about real quick here is playing to your strengths, which is essentially what I'm saying. Um, I'm a firm believer of 
always, always, always playing to your strengths. No matter how good a round is going, uh, it's important not to deviate from what you're, uh, what's working and try a hero shot as an example uh, to go even lower. So, you know, maybe you're not going to hit that target number that you, you shot for uh, at the beginning of the round, but if you're playing well and you know what your strengths are, I think that's what you stick with. And I think that's kind of what you're saying. Is it, is it not, Cindy, if, or am I misunderstanding? That basically, you know, play to your strengths and, and not try to deviate, uh, you know, mid-round or partway through the round. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and, and the more you do that, I mean, I would challenge people to really just try to hit it down the fairway and with whatever club you're comfortable with. Because 99% of the people that come in, you know, well, i got to hit my driver farther. Mm, not really. You know, do you want to score better or do you want to be a long drive contest guy? You know, so I think sometimes their expectations and their goals and their realistic uh, thoughts need a little tweaking. And, and if they're really committed to making that change, then it's really pretty easy to help you see your strengths. Everybody's good at something. And, you right. know, I don't hit it far, but I had to learn to get it up and down because I didn't hit it far and I didn't hit a lot of green. You know, and then you know, you always want what you don't have. You wish you could hit it far and straight, but most people that hit it far hit it crooked. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah you, I mean, have to, you have to identify what your strengths are and then you know, realize that that's, those are the gifts you got and then use them to your benefit. Yeah. Yeah. I I think just very quickly, just to sort of summarize, I think, you know, keeping a good round going starts at the very beginning. Um, Your pre-round getting, being properly prepared, understanding, knowing the course that you're playing, even if you've never played it before, there's ways that you can get to know the course. Look at the, the uh, you know the uh, yardages of each hole um, you know while you're having breakfast or something go over the the holes you know where you're you and your foursome are, are maybe having a bite to eat and and look at different things and and understanding uh, you know some of the challenges that you might be faced with and adapt accordingly you know if you're not a strong player you know don't try these hero shots and say well I'm going to try to carry that that you know that creek that's running through the middle of the fairway that's 275 yards. Uh, out there when you know you can't hit that far. So, you know, play smart. You know you're not going to be able to carry it, or even if it's 225, if you know you can't carry that with confidence, you may have to lay up. And, you know, get loose. You know, get, get you know, I'm not saying you have to do an exercise regimen before you start, but loosen up, warm up, hit some shots. Again, as Cindy said, don't, you know, hit three buckets of balls before you get out there, but, you know, hit 10 or, or maybe even a dozen shots out there and then hit the putting uh, you know, uh, practice putting surface and get out there and, and, you know, lag some putts to kind of gauge the speed of the greens that day. And, you know, make wise decisions when you're choosing the clubs that you have out there on the golf course. You know, you've got 14 in the bag. You may not be using every one of them that, that particular day, but use the clubs that you're most comfortable with and uh, um, don't try shots that you know that you don't, uh, aren't easily going to be able to accomplish. And then I think always play to your strengths. You know what your strengths are. You've been playing for a little bit, uh, of time and you understand what works and what doesn't work. So that's what you want to play to. And, uh, and don't be afraid to lay up. 
And if you feel that you've got a good round going, forget about it. Don't count. You know, obviously, you've got to keep track of the score, but don't focus on the score. Just focus on the shot at hand that you're, you're dealing with that particular moment and execute that shot. And then worry about the next one when you're ready to hit that shot. Don't worry about it you know, two shots ahead or don't worry about the hole that's coming up four holes down the road. Deal each shot, shot by shot, all the way around, and you'd be surprised at how much better you do. Um, great discussion. Again, we apologized. Uh, we had a little bit of a technical issue um, in the beginning, and um, my apologies for that. Uh, we, we both, uh, I guess we were too excited to talk, and and uh, we got we got cut off. But anyways, all right. Um, we're very excited to welcome uh, our very special guest this morning, uh, Linda Harto. She is a world-renowned golf landscape painter and artist. Uh, her work is displayed uh, in the permanent collections of such legendary clubs as Augusta National, uh, Laurel Valley, Pinehurst, and Pine Valley. Uh, also included in some personal collections of such golf notables as Jack Nicholas, Raymond Floyd, Reese Jones, and in the collections of the USGA Museum uh, in Far Hills, New Jersey, and uh, Morris Museum of Art, uh, as well as in Augusta, Georgia, as mentioned. So, um, Cindy, let's welcome our very special guest, Linda Harto. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> I'm glad to be here, very much so. Thank you. <laughs> we're thrilled. Well, to we're have glad you. to have you, and and hopefully we won't have any technical issues on this part of the show. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it it happens every once in a while, and and um, I think it uh, it, it uh, just par for the course, as they say. <clears throat> Um, so yep. <laughs> let me just ask a, 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 a very um, sort of a, an open question, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. What led you to do what you do? What was your interest? I mean, obviously you're an artist and you're a painter and, and have other many talents. What was it about golf particularly and the landscapes of, of golf that drew you to it? Well, to start with, it was um... – it was Augusta National that really drew me to the genre. I was doing a lot of just landscape and all kinds of different subjects, but mostly commission stuff. So uh, they commissioned me to do the 13th hole at Augusta in 1984. And that was really the first time that I sort of sent, you know, centered my artistic <laughs> feelings on a golf course. And the first thing I noticed is that you see the landscape so much clearer because obviously the fairways and greens are cut close to the ground. And that was fascinating to me. It was like painting, uh, almost like painting skin, basically. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you saw all these beautiful contours and the way the light fell across them, and it was uh, very inspiring. Besides being landscape, it added that dimension, which I had not experienced before. Very interesting. Um, Cindy, <laughs> go ahead. way of looking at it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Cindy, go ahead. You have some questions. Were you always really good at this, or did you have to learn, you know, how to perfect it? I think that came with time, but uh, to start with, I'd already been doing landscapes, so I just really, I had to readjust the way I approached it, because especially starting in Augusta, because 
there was no rough there. <laughs> you know, it was like a complete, like, oh, this is different. <laughs> uh, but as I started doing some of the uh, U.K. courses in Scotland and Ireland, it was different. It was much more natural, like natural landscape. But, um, you know, I just grew to love it, and I love the contrast of the beautiful greens with the natural landscape as well. So do you physically go to the property and just sit there? Pretty much. I I spend quite a bit of time at the, you know, I may schedule a week, or if I go to Scotland, I'll schedule at least two weeks, a week at each course. Excuse me. Wow. I Yeah. So <laughs> So you get to know long, it on a personal level too because yeah. once once you sort of learn the course, then you have to sort of figure out what its character is and then you find the one scene that sort of sums that all up. So and I also like it when you can sort of instantly say, oh, I know where that is, or that's Shinnecock, or that's St. Andrews. Um, You know, it's all important not only to the person who will appreciate it, but also to me. I want you to know where it is. (laughs) Right, right. My son would be able to do that. He would be able to tell you exactly where everything is because he's like a golf course crazy kid. But um, so what, if you're there, let's say we go to Augusta for a week. Mm-hmm. Once you leave, how much longer does it take you to finish the project? Oh, gosh. Well, once I get the photo reference down, and basically I do all of that myself, with the idea in mind that when I pick a scene, I'll live with it for a while in different lights and then uh, like morning light, afternoon light, whatever, and really thoroughly understand that scene. And I'll take like uh, pictures of it, uh, like 300 millimeter in sections, just like 20 shots for one scene with overall shots too. So by the time I get home to the studio, I have everything, hopefully everything I need including if there's critters that live on that hole, they get, you know, photographed. They may not get in the painting, but if I can work them in, I do. (laughs) You know, it's like knowing that hole. (laughs) And, but that, that's one part of it. The other part is the actual studio time. And that could be three months or six months, depending on how large the painting is. They take a very wow. long time to do. And they aren't wow. always done right after I've been to the course if I have to get material for maybe two, three years out. So That's amazing. While I'm there, I yeah, try that, to everything I think I need. <laughs> yeah, that, that's amazing. So let me um, – you, you answered part of the question um, already, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, so you, you obviously take – um, a, a variety of different photos of different angles and things like that to sort mm-hmm. of get a, an overall fl- overall flavor, if you will. But when yeah. you actually get down and you decide, okay, this is what I want to paint, 
Let's just mm-hmm. take an example, and you can use any example you want. Let's say you're doing a specific hole, maybe, again, hole 13 at, at Augusta. Where mm-hmm. do you start in the painting? Like, how do you start it? Do you start, you know, I, I'm going to work on the green first and work my way back a little <laughs> bit, or I'm working no. in the background. Where do you, like, how, or, or the flag is the first thing I'm going to draw out here and, and, or paint out here. How do you start it? How do you begin the portrait? Well, first off, I have to go over all the pictures, decide what I want to portray, you know, what what's the character, what's maybe the lighting, um, all the different elements. And that could take quite a while before I even begin to do anything on the canvas. <laughs> I just have right. to get it very clear in my head exactly what I want to do with that. And that could take weeks sometimes. Uh, my husband used to say, you know, well, anything done yet today? <laughs> nope. <laughs> you know, still trying to digest everything. And then once I get to the point where I'm putting something on the canvas, I pretty much know exactly what it's going to look like. And then I put a little minimal drawing uh and go from there. I actually start with more distance than anything. In other words, the thing that's farthest away gets first and mm-hmm. works towards the foreground. And you can actually see that on my website, which is just heartto.com. If you go to um, the studio button and look at work in progress, you can see one from start to finish. Oh. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's all, it's always interesting when when you know I speak with somebody like yourself who has that that ability to sort of visualize what they want to put down on canvas. Have uh-huh. you ever had moments where where you've gone through the process? You've you've got the photos. You're you're you know taken several weeks or whatever the case may be to kind of visualize the concept, and now you're putting it down on the canvas uh-huh. and get partway through it. Have you ever had moments where then you said, you know what? I don't know if that's what I want to do. If you've gotten partway through the process uh, and putting some stuff down on canvas and then changed your mind and said, no, I think I want to approach this from a different view. No. <laughs> that's part <laughs> of the, the preliminary is figuring all that out and make sure I don't have that happen because there's so much time involved in it. You know, I don't want to go backwards. So once you make your commitment, then that's it. You've committed to it. You've decided, yep. and and that that's okay. Well, that's what I thought. I, you know, I, I just was curious though, because you know, you know, when you look at somebody who's a, who's a writer as an example, and a lot of times they'll get out there and you know they're writing the first uh, you know their chapters, and you know you see them crumpling up papers and throwing it in the wastebasket <laughs> because they didn't like something come out. So I don't envision you doing because I know your yours is a little more expensive. No, I I, to be, I do that in my head basically. You know, I'm I'm digesting all the different photographs in my head before I start there. If that makes any sense? Uh, you yeah. know, it's like no, yeah, it sometimes you have to literally manipulate space too, which makes it even more complicated. If, like, say, um, you know, when I was painting the postage stamp, and you know that whole the little short par three. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful scene, but Mm -hmm. I wanted the island of Aaron in it, 
And if you're standing right on the tee looking at the green, you're not going to see Aaron in the, in the picture. So I just move it over. <laughs> and I moved a few things around when I did Shinnecock because I wanted that clubhouse to stand out. I didn't want any, uh, you know, the, in other words, the feeling you have when you're at the course isn't from one position in the whole course that makes any sense you're you're seeing it as a three-dimensional thing that you're moving around in and there's certain elements that are memorable but aren't necessarily in the one aspect that you pick so if i can i manipulate things around to get what all the things i want in there <laughs> and sometimes that's a trick <laughs> Well, it, it obviously, you know, certainly um, sounds to me like there's a lot of uh, the hardest part. I mean, I would think just the painting itself would be hard, but it sounds to me the hardest part is actually the preparation, getting the vision in your mind, what yeah. you want to do. Uh, uh, would I be correct in saying that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, once, and, once and I think, the painting starts, it's more like a technical thing, just, you know, get it done. <laughs> Fill in the What's hole. the hardest part? <laughs> right. What's the hard? I mean, obviously you're very, and I've been on your website, and and you're extremely talented. I mean, that would be oh, putting you. it mildly. <laughs> um, and and you know, it, I mean, it would be an abomination if I was to try even a sample of what you do. Uh, it just would not come out anything close. So wh- how do you? I mean, obviously you've developed talent, as you said earlier to Cindy, um, mm-hmm. over time and that, but. What's the hardest part um, of some of the work that you've done? What's the? I mean, obviously, you know, the green grass, the fairway, and that part of it is—is is it the, mm-hmm. you know, some of the the minor details in the rough? Is it the trees? Is it what's the hardest? What presents the most challenges? I guess the word I'm looking for in your painting. You mean an actual technically to paint? Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. Ah. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm not real sure, but sometimes, um, uh, a lot of times I use skies that aren't there. In other words, um, right. when I'm photographing a course, I don't always get a wonderful sky, but I have a collection of wonderful skies and matching the composition, sometimes the sky is such a major part of the composition, so I have to match a sky to the composition. And sometimes, especially if there's water in the scene, mm-hmm. uh, it gets difficult to try to figure out how that sky would reflect in the water when I don't actually have a photograph of it. You so you have to that? kind of just, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's why, that's <laughs> the difference, Cindy, between talent, talent like Linda has and the rest of us, uh, to be able to imagine, you know, right. uh, and, and put something in that, that's not there. That's incredible. Cindy, go ahead. So I'm looking at your website right now on the 8th hole mm-hmm. Pebble Beach view in the shop, and yeah. there's water there. And the sky is just beautiful. So is that an example of, holy cow, the sky didn't look like that, or did the sky look like that? <laughs> well, let's see. It, I think on that Are one it actually did. 
Oh. I, think, I think it actually did. Once in a while, I get lucky. <laughs> Let's see. I'm checking and, and it this out. May, right now. Yes, that one was actually this. there. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, was the spyglass sky there? Because that's unbelievable. Oh, the yes. third hole. Love that painting. Love, love, love it. <laughs> Holy cow. Yes, that and one was there. I got lucky. How can you sell these? Do the courses? approve that they must or you wouldn't be doing it right i have licenses with most of the you know the primary courses so yeah that's great (laughs) and can you explain um so let's pick augusta i'm on the website and there's a bunch of different options to pick from so if i pick the 10th hole because i am fine art paper what's that mean uh, well, that means uh, really high-quality rag paper, meaning it could be either a lithograph. In the case of the tent, there's there's a lithograph that I did. and But mostly what we do now is G-clay, and the G-clay is on, either on fine watercolor paper or on canvas. That's pretty much what printing is today compared to 20 years ago. <laughs> The printing technology has changed as well, and I've had to learn that as well because yeah. when I first did prints in the 80s, it was a dot edge, you know, I mean, completely different from what we do now. And then it morphed into digital printing, and then eventually G. Clay came along, which changed everything again. So it's been also uh, another aspect of all this is learning all the technologies of printing and getting the best print you can. Now, do you print them yourself? Well, I have a a guy that I've been, has been my print tech guy now for, oh gosh, since about 94. (laughs) And fortunately, he's still in business and, you know, he knows my work really well. He knows how to do the digital capture is the most important thing. You know, to get that right. Holy cow! Yeah, and mm. and because my paintings have a lot of texture to them, that's a super important part because you don't want what they call specular highlights to ruin the whole image from from a textured uh, painting. So he has a way of lighting it that shows the texture but doesn't interfere with the quality of the image. Wow. Hmm. He's a genius. <laughs> I mean, he, well, so he, he and I work real well together, so I'm hoping that'll continue well, forever. Yeah, it's a, that's good to have a, a good relationship like that, that you mm-hmm. complement one another uh, in being able to do that. Um, let me ask you, uh, there's some questions I'm not going to ask today because you and I are going to get together Thursday night uh, and get into mm-hmm. a little bit more, so I'm saving some of, some of the questions uh, for Thursday evening. But um, I know you've done, okay. uh, and we'll talk about that at that time about some of the collections that for you know Mr. Nicholas and and some of the others mm-hmm. and that. But um, what I want to ask you is, you looking at your body of work, you've done so many very famous holes, very famous courses. Mm-hmm. Is there some? Is there something that you haven't done? Um, 
that you would really like to do but maybe haven't necessarily been commissioned yet? Is there something out there, a, a course or, or what have you, that you would really want to do but maybe oh, haven't yeah. taken or maybe you're, maybe you're in the process? Give us some examples of, of ones that you've sort of scouted out or come across yeah. and would love to do. Well, Cypress Point is one for sure. <laughs> Uh, some of the courses in Scotland, you know, when you, when you're traveling in a country, you visit a lot. I've well, I visit a lot of courses, whether I'm going to paint them or not. Sometimes, just if they're notable or something about them. Uh, so I have a lot of photographs of courses that I have not painted. <laughs> I mean, North Berwick, I was fascinated with that, but I've not painted it. It's just, you know, I can only do three or four paintings at the max a year anyway. And, of course, now later in my career, I'm I'm more or less wanting to do uh, commission stuff more than sure. speculative things. So, um, so I've been concentrating more on that. For all those years... I did mostly uh, tournament championship tournament courses like Augusta and all the U.S. Opens for 25 years and the British Opens, that whole rotation in the 90s. Uh, You know, that took a lot of time. I didn't have much time to do anything else but. And then when you're doing those things, you're also having to do the prints, you know, I always add another month on the schedule for just getting the prints done, signed, packaged, whatever, ready to sell. It's just a long process for one image. Yeah, that's what I mean is I think people don't appreciate what Mm -hmm. goes into, you know, from, from the preparation to the actual commissioning, uh, you know, the, the, the painting and, and sort mm-hmm. of doing all of the other details in between and then getting it ready to, you know, present to uh, whomever. Um, it's a lengthy process and yeah. um, it and takes I a lot of time. to go to the actual tournaments <laughs> and sell at the merchandise tent every year, you know, uh, Augusta whole nine, ten days and then U.S. Open was nine, ten days, you know, just to be there on site to do what you had to do. So, yeah, all that's a lot of time. Yeah, exactly. Um, how long – something is always curious because I, I guess it depends, you know, you, you get you when you're actually, you know, painting the, the landscape, um, mm-hmm. you know, you've got all your, your, your stuff laid out there and you're, you're doing it. Typically, mm-hmm. on average, how long during a session – because obviously you're not painting it in one day. It's over a period of time. How long do you yeah. typically spend – you know, in front of the canvas actually painting before you say to yourself, you know, my arm's getting a little tired or, or my back's a little <laughs> sore. Um, you know, is it a few hours a day? Uh, you know, maybe is it a few days in a row and then you take a break? What's typically kind of been your 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 process? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a combination of that. But uh, it used to be when I was on oh, really uh, tight schedules, especially when you have a tournament, you know, you've got a very definite schedule. Um, I would work, oh, 12 hours or more, uh, work late into the night mm-hmm. sometimes, because I like to work in a, the painting wet. I mean, I don't sure. 
go over an area after it's sort of been done, if that makes any sense. And yep. it mm-hmm. sometimes I know, you know, life happens too. I can't like not do anything else, though sometimes I wish right. I could. <laughs> you have to do other <laughs> things. You have to go to the grocery store, you know, manage lots of different things. Plus, I have the business and the website and employees, and so I have to schedule how much I, a uh, part of the painting I can get done in that particular time period. So it might be I might get two inches done, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> because that's all the time I'm going to have for that day. <laughs> And if if you're doing right. a painting you, like St. Andrews, you're lucky if you get two inches done a day. <laughs> you know, because yeah, you have, you're painting the town. You're painting an entire town. So it's a very slow process to get through that town. What's been the, the quickest turnaround? Now, obviously, you, you mentioned a few moments ago, you said that, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. you might get under the gun where you've got to get... What's What's been maybe give us an example of of the quickest turnaround from when you were commissioned to do something that you were really under the gun said I've got to get this done by you know next Thursday or something as an example. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know that's a bit of a stretch, but but what was the quickest turnaround that you've had to do for for a commission piece Gosh, from start I, to finish? I can't think of a particular one, but I'd say three months is pretty much. Yeah, that's about it. Unless I'm doing a really tiny little painting, but mostly I don't. I the I do small paintings, but usually it was more those were more speculative paintings, you know, they weren't right. commissioned to be that small. And they I could do them in a, in 30 days, I'd say. But the bigger wow. ones I I really can't get done any quicker than maybe Two to three months. That's incredible. Um, even two to three months. I mean, I, I wouldn't even have have a clue. I wouldn't have had the flag stra- uh, stick drawn <laughs> or sketched in or prepared in two to three months, based on what I've seen you do. So that's that's pretty impressive. Um, well, Linda, I know. Um, our, our time is a little bit shorter this morning, but mm-hmm. uh, you and I are going to have a little bit more time. Uh, as I said, this Thursday, Linda's going to be joining me on uh, uh, my other show, Golf Talk Live, on Thursday evening uh, at mm-hmm. um, 8 p.m. Eastern. So I'm looking forward. We're going to unpack a little bit more. We're going to, believe it or not, I've got more questions to ask. Uh, but we appreciate you <laughs> taking time. Yeah, we sure. yeah, believe me. Uh, uh, we appreciate you taking time this morning and, and <clears throat> spending it. Uh, with Cindy and I and, and sharing just a little bit about what you yeah. do. And, and as I said, we'll talk more on Thursday, but thank you very much, Linda, for, um, uh, for sharing uh, some time with us this morning. Thank you. All right. Thank you so care. much. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Linda Harto, uh, world renowned golf landscape painter or artist. Um, really interesting, you know, Cindy to, to listen to her, you know, talk about the process I mean, forget the actual painting, but the process of what goes into to getting it ready. I mean, you know, it's it, she's yeah. not just plunking the canvas down and, and, and having at it. I mean, 
you know, it, it's a it's a process. It's you know, creating the vision. I mean, I, I listen. I used to think I had a lot of patience. There is no yeah. way mm. in heck. Not so much. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean. God bless. Her. I mean, I yeah, I have. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I. If I take more than five minutes well, to decide what I'm going to eat for breakfast, I'm either. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I used to doodle or, or, as they say, or sketch a little bit when I was younger. And, you know, I was a little bit creative, but nothing to the to the caliber of this. But, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. And, and you know, I, I've been on the website, as I know you have, and, and she does do some incredibly beautiful work. I mean, it's just breathtaking to see the talent um, that this woman has. And it's no wonder yeah. that she's uh, had the opportunity. You know, had the opportunity to to um, provide uh, to the collections of some some of the you know uh, not just great players, but uh, people in the in the industry, and I'm sure some private uh, uh, you know folks as well that she's provided to. And it's very easy when you look at her website. So if you go to Harto and it's spelled H-A-R-T-O-U-G-H dot com. Uh, for those of you listening to the program, if you go there, you can see uh, a good body of work of what she you know what we talked about this morning i know you can't see it here on the show and on the women of golf but if you go to her website harto.com uh you'll see exactly what some of the things we were talking about this morning and uh i i shudder to think the cost of some of those paintings you know what i mean i mean they're certainly oh, there's sure one well right it. here that's 225 dollars oh really wow that's and all the way up to 2500 but yeah, but holy cow! Well, the could, detail, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah, I mean, when you first, yeah, when you first look at them at a quick glance, you almost think you're looking at literally a photograph. You do. And then when you examine a little bit closer, and you realize, no, heck, this is a painting. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing. Now, obviously, these are digital images of the painting, but still. You know, when you look at it uh, a little bit closer and you start to see, as you said, the details, I mean, you, you know, whether it's Augusta National, I mean, I mean, this stuff is spot on. It it's is. just amazing. It just, yeah, it's just amazing. All right. That's all the time we've got for everybody this morning. And again, our apologies for um, a little bit of mishap uh, earlier. I take full responsibility for that. But we appreciate you joining Cindy and I uh, this morning uh, on the Women of Golf, and we will look forward uh, to seeing you back here next week with another uh, great guest and uh, more things to talk about golf. Have a great week, everybody. God bless, and thank you for joining us this morning on the Women of Golf. Thanks very much, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's Women of Golf show. Ted and Cindy wish to thank this week's special guests. Remember to join them every Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern here on the iGolf Sports Network or on any of these social media platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course Spotify. To get updates on the show, you can follow the Women of Golf's Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash womenofgolf. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.